everyone, and welcome again to this new episode of Let's Talk About Public Code, a space where we talk to members of our community who are actively using public code in their code bases. My name is Alba Roza, and I'm one of the code base stewards from the Foundation for Public Code. And as usual, I'm not alone here. Uh, I'm here with my colleague, Jan. Hello, Jan. Hello, Alba. How are you doing? Yeah, good. And you? I'm good as well. Well, Jan is also a code-based steward, and uh, we both work in the with the standard for public code. Our standard says that uh, the code bases should include a public code.eml metadata description so that they are easily discoverable. And today we'll meet with someone from the only country that mandates their public software to use that. Yes, today we're joined by Leonardo Favario, who is the open source project leader at the Department of Digital Transformation in the Italian government. Yeah, shall we bring him in? Yes, we shall welcome Leonardo. Hello, hello. Hi, how are you, Leonardo? I'm fine. What about you? Yeah, good. Good. So you have been leader of the digital transformation team in the open source part, and I think you changed the name, but could you give us a little bit of a brief description of what it is and what it has been. Yeah, sure. So yeah, a lot of time passed since uh, we we had this conversation over other channels. So um, once upon a time, let's say in 2017, a small group of people, let's say 30 to 35, 40 people maximum, uh, created what was called the digital transformation team inside the presidency of the Council of Ministries in Italy. Um, we liked to define ourselves as a small startup in the government, meaning that we were a bunch of, you know, engineers, da data scientists, and we really lo loved doing stuff, you know, uh, getting our hands dirty inside machines, inside servers, inside code. And then we wanted somehow to demonstrate that most of the stuff that the public administration was usually doing, you, following their uh, usual means could be digitally transformed, you know, not just digitalized, but really transformed. So starting from the process, then you build some technology on top. And then at the end, you have something that's really optimized and it's really scalable, reliable and so on and on. So that was our first, let's say, uh, little job. And then these all idea of the digital transformation team ceased to exist in January 2020 when the team became a solid foundation, let's say a more consolidated instance in the government, which is called a department. So once upon a time, the, the, the team was a little bit more instable, meaning that you know many governments changed. And uh, so every time we had to demonstrate our uh, role inside the government. Right now, we are a more stable department, so we have let's say a longer future ahead so we can plan and have more roadmaps and uh, uh, you know continue this digital transformation so this is the little story of where we came from and where we are right now mm -hmm. and uh, how did you end up uh, being the person leading it okay that's that's interesting i mean my experience is really interesting i really love to talk about it because i started as a community member Right, so I started following what was uh, the the main community called Developers Italia, and then as part of the community, I started interacting with the people that were inside a team, and then you know uh, there was a hiring possibility inside. Um, so I applied, and then I ended up uh, being part of the team, and then. Slowly moving forward, uh, I joined as an open source person, you know, um, in the open source project leading role 
is really interesting because it's uh, it's a novelty inside again the Italian public administration and not maybe not only the Italian one. And I really like love the job because it's mainly a way to uh, let administrators, public administrators, but also citizens and you know uh, or employees that open source is not just about the technology. You know, the free and open source world goes way beyond just a piece of code, just uh, some source code thrown somewhere in some repository. So having this role inside a public administration, I think is really crucial in order to uh, really make people understand what this is all about. So it's about interaction with legal, figures, it's about licensing, it's about communities, it's about participation, it's about interaction, reuse, exchange, and we can talk about it for ages, right? So I really love the job and I think that more and more institutions around the world should really embrace this philosophy and should really open hiring position in this uh, particular role. And when you joined, what was the state of the open source ecosystem in the Italian government? Oh, well, that's, uh, that's an interesting question, mainly because I think that Italy is quite advanced for what concerns um, the free and open source ecosystem or panorama in the public administration. So just to give you a little bit of history, starting in 2005, we have um, uh, what is called the Code for Digital Administrations that is mainly uh, saying what the public administrator has to do in order to be, you know, digital by design, digital digital first as, a, as an approach. So in that code back in 2005, there was written that whenever you are writing some code from a public administration perspective, you have to publish it as open source. And then also, whenever you want to acquire a new piece of software, you have to you know make a comparative assessment, an evaluation. And the priority should be free and open source code. And then there are the other ones. So of course, uh, 2005 was uh, some time ago, uh, time passed, uh, that law was a little bit um, restyled. But then right now we still have that law in place. And uh, we also have another piece that was very important in my opinion to, to craft and to publish. And this was the role of the digital administration team back in the days. And those, that document is called the Guidelines for Acquisition and Reuse of Software Inside Public Administration. And the role of that document is really to take whatever the primary law says, so whatever I told you about what's written inside the code for digital administration, and put it into practice. So that whenever we deal with free and open source, and when the law says, hey, you as a public administration has have to prefer free and open source software, but what does it mean, right? So the guidelines that we wrote and we published are really going in this direction. So are really helping every public administration in Italy to understand what we're talking about and to understand which tools we can use. And so I think that, again, the role of the digital transformation team was to understand there was an issue with the law, there was something to be improved, then we drafted this document, we published it, and then right now we are we are dealing with it, right? We are we are seeing how things are evolving. So it's a, it's an evolution, and right now in the department we're we're very concerned about evolving the standards, and we'll talk about it later on probably, and to build the catalog and also to provide tools in order for public administrations to 
know what there is out there, how to reuse, and how to properly, you know, not waste public money, right? So invest public money in the best possible way. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this law you were talking about is uh, somehow related to your uh, the Piano Triennale, this plan you have for the following, well, for three years, or is that just a roadmap you have with following steps? They're very connected. They're interconnected, meaning that before, I mean, the first thing you look at is the law, the primary law. And the primary law tells, again, as I told you before, uh, these high-level design, high-level objectives that you might have as, a, as an administration. However, you, whenever you work on a day-to-day -day basis, you have to set some objectives, and then you have to try to, you know, in a project management fashion, try to go towards that direction as much as possible. So, of course, you cannot from zero to one just jump ahead and fill that gap because many administrations have several issues you know during the the path it's not something that you can really easily change and you cannot easily digitally transform a country from uh, from day to night so um what happens with this three years ict plan what we do is we try to understand which are the priorities right now that we think we as a central government and the local governments have to work on and when we draft it so there's a document out there saying year by year and you know q1 q2 q3 and so on what are the objectives and how we as a central government can help the local governments in order to fulfill and to reach those milestones so yeah those are connected and uh, i think it's interesting because you you give a roadmap of which is the situation and where you're going mm -hmm. And with this law in place, have you seen any collaborations between different kinds of agencies since it started? Yeah, definitely, yes. And this is something I really get excited about, right? So, uh, because the idea behind the whole free and open source world outside the public administration is exactly this one, right? So to not reinvent the wheel over and over again and, and share as much as possible and reuse as much as possible in order to get growing and going, right? Uh, in the public administration world, is not so straightforward, also from a procurement point of view. So if we are able and, and we are trying day after day to uh, contact administration, if we're able to let them understand that most of their issues, most of their requirements, most of their questions also are really shared between and among other public administrations, then I think that we are uh, going in, in the right direction. Because if we make them understand that they are not the only one having that issue, they're not the only one having that requirements, then maybe we can also tell them to merge and then go in a, and do the procurement in a unified way. So this has happened in the past and we've seen a lot of examples where uh, little municipalities, for example, that don't really have also uh, the budget in order to approach a big ICT project and a big development and a big uh, you know, developing new infrastructures and so on, when they group together, when they merge their, you know, their issues and their requirements, then they become a better client, a better future client. So they can go on the market and they go and have a better procurement phase and so on and on. So this happened in the past and we have uh, very good examples of this. So um, I'm happy about it. I'm really happy about it. And I, I think and I hope we will see more and more of this, of these merges happening. Do you happen to have like 
on a quick uh, on the back of your head maybe an example of perhaps a simpler uh, code base that got replicated many times okay so um, yes this is interesting since uh, there are again the the panorama is really vast and and there is a variety a large variety of of uh, and that's that's true everywhere in the world i think so uh, however, there are some cases where we have some, uh, um, I, I can imagine right now and thinking about uh, one, uh, one piece of software has been developed by one of the biggest research centers in Italy. Uh, let's say it's a council of research centers and they released this piece of software as free and open source from the very beginning. So it was really open by design. So has been designed with an open approach and then this has been used and reused many, many other times. And the, and the interesting thing, I think, is that um, most of the times, um, the, the real authors didn't even know that other people were reusing that software. So we were kind of interested in this in these mechanics, right? Since uh, it's not usual for a public administration to use someone else's code and without even doing procurement, you know, it's um, it's an interesting situation it are, are coming up with this new reuse model based on free and open source software. So yes, we have those examples and, uh, and we are of course trying to have those people, so those developers, those managers that created those solution, we try to involve them as much as possible inside the community in order to share the world, right? So in order to uh, share also the methodologies and so on and and have this viral effect. And I guess uh, when talking about sharing, I think that these two websites that you had set up, the Designers uh, Italia, and you also mentioned the Developers Italia, what are they and what are the difference between the two of them? Yeah, it's um, a good question, this one. Since uh, Developers Italia and Designers Italia are really, I would say they are brothers and sisters, right? So. They, they really have the same ideas. There's, many of the people are also shared, let's say, between, among, among the project. And this is good, right? So we, we keep cultivating the, 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 the same ideas, the same methodologies, and so on. Mostly developers is really a developer portal. So you, when you browse developers.italia.it, what you get is basically a developer portal where you have resources for developers. So APIs, you get SDK, you have a lot of set of libraries that we develop, the community developed, and so on. So from a developer point of view, you go there and you and you find whatever you were looking for. On the designers Italia point of view is more on the designer aspect. And when I say designer, I don't just want to say UX, UI, but I'm also saying a content designer, service designer, you know, the design aspect is really broad and it's getting bigger and bigger and it's really important. Why? Because when we design new products and we build new projects, what we do is basically start with a user-centered approach. So we want also other public administration to understand and to have the clear idea that their customer is the citizen. So our customer is a public administration is our citizen, and we really have to think in a citizen-centric point of view, right? So we have to start designing in this way and start developing in this way. So again, designers and developers, most of the time they, they could be merged because we have the same goal, the same approaches, but they are two different websites because they serve different purposes and there are different tools and, 
And uh, you know, if you're a content designer, you go there on designers.italia.it, you find the kits that you can easily reuse inside your administration, and you get like 40 or 50% of the work already done, right? Of course, designers, it's all a free and open source as Developers Italia is. So yeah, I, I, hope, I hope this is clear now. It's interesting uh, the point you've made because we actually Jan and I were in a in a workshop yesterday, and someone mentioned the idea of like yeah they, they were talking about design and the users, and then I, I popped up the question like wait but what users are you talking about? Are we talking about the citizens or are we talking about the civil servants that are going to use this right? Yeah, so so understandable what you said. So yeah, we've seen ourselves I think with that example. I would like to know when I was thinking about your your project and your code base, Leonardo. I was thinking, I was very curious to know how your team is shaped, the team you work with, and uh, how are the the ceremonies, if you want to use the agile word, or the the meetings. How how do you structure the whole the whole work? Are there recurrent meetings? How does it work? Yeah. Well, again, this has changed a little bit since we were uh, the the team for digital transformation. Now we have department, so um, you know also the structure, the internal structure is changing and it still changes. There's an ongoing change going on. However, mainly we use an agile approach, so we have regular standups, we have regular meetings, but also we try not to work in silos. So we try to. Again, as I told you before, if there's a group of people working on developers.italia.it, for example, on the on the web page, on the on the catalog of uh, free and open source software, on the on all the tools, and there are also other people that are working on designers Italia, so designers, content and services. What we try to do is not working in silos. So exchanging information also inside our team is fundamental. So we try to have these meetings as much as possible, and then we also have some. Uh, meetings where we have all the engineering team, all the designers team, all the uh, you know product teams also, communication and so on, working together. So of course, we have a lot of milestones to reach, a lot of uh, to follow our roadmap. But of course, if we try to, to have this uh, exchange, internal exchange, and also external exchange with the community as well, this helps. Of course, we're using, for example, GitHub. So our repositories are, are out there. So the point is, if we are also opening these conversations and this discussion in our issues tracker, you know, software and portal, or our communication channel, our forum, or our um, you know messaging channel, that's even better because we get the direct feedback from the citizens. So that's even better, and that's what we're trying to do every day. That's interesting that you mentioned them because that was going to be like my follow-up question, right? Like you were telling me how you organized your internal team. And I was curious to also get to know how you actually talk or connect with the community surrounding you besides yeah. these repositories, but maybe you have like also meetings, community calls. Exactly. So this is something interesting since we experimented with some community calls back in the days, it was like probably two years ago. And they were really, really good. I mean, we really got a lot of feedback from people that maybe, you know, maybe they couldn't stay on, on your uh, Git repositories. They, they couldn't stay there and chat every day. But if you give them uh, the uh, 45 to one hour window of time where they can show up and say, hey, I have this question. I have this issue. Uh, what happens if, what happens when? And then you just, you know, the lamp lights up and you say, hey, this is great. 
Why didn't I think about it before? And so you, you start a conversation and maybe they provide you feedback offline and so on. So I think that these moments are really important, really fundamental, and we are launching our next generation of community calls in uh, in the next few weeks. So we are we're starting again because we had very good feedback and we want we want feedback. We want as much feedback as possible again because we're 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 here to serve the citizens and uh, to to get better experience for them. So that's the important thing. So of course, whenever we will be able to do events, that could be that could be a great game changer as well. Just in order to tell you a small story, in October 2017, we organized a, a great event, an, an hackathon, that for a weekend connected many people around Italy and also uh, there were other cities connected. And uh, it was incredible to see how many ideas were flowing during that weekend. And that really helped our community to form and to grow. Since from that moment, a lot of people join and a lot of people say, hey, I want to give some sort of support. I am able to um, write code, then I'll, I'll try to fire a patch. I'm, I'm able to uh, you know, Q, do some QA or just test, then I find a, a bug, I open an issue. And that's on and on. So there are many ways to contribute and there are many ways to get the community together. So yeah, hopefully we will be able to organize other events like those one or maybe also virtual one, who knows? So, but I, I think those are fundamental for a community to grow and prosper. I think this is a nice uh, bridge to think because when you're talking about the community calls and the hackathon, that's also open to a wider spectrum of people that can participate. But before you worked in the government, you were also working as a professor, if I understand it correctly. And what was the attitude towards free and open source software among the students and or in the academia in general? Yeah, that's a tricky question since um, it's it's really hard to think and talk about education uh, since there are so many levels, so many scholar levels. You know, so for example, I can I can give you my my little experience. So I started in in the free and open source world since I was young, very young, twelve or thirteen years old, right? So I, I got really passionate about it, and to me as a student, that was like the natural way of dealing with ideas and with software, of course. So to me, the idea of being able to read a piece of code and uh, uh, to modify it and uh, you know study it and then modify it, but most importantly, to share it freely to my peers, to the people who were sitting next to me, that, that was very natural because that was that is what every student does, right? In order to study and, and to grow and to learn what's, what's the, out there. So. I think that in many scholar levels, it's really straightforward. And then the more you go on, the more people start to, you know, you have to explain it to people because most of the time schools are not really providing this and or, or are leaving, especially for, for what concerns the software sphere, they're not really dealing with it. You say, okay, that's the only way of de dealing with software. That's the only way of producing software. There's no other way. You cannot just copy and do stuff. So. I think that on a university level, it's a little bit harder than it is from primary level or high school level. So I've been dealing with a lot of students in different scholar levels, and uh, I've seen this difference. I've seen that the people react and behave in a different way depending on which level they are. So there's this interesting stuff that we started in 2015, if I'm not wrong, I mean, six to seven years ago. and. Uh, 
that we created what is called the master. So it's um, the first level master you, you do after getting your graduation on uh, free software management. And it's a real old course. It's one year long, one acad academic year long. It's really meant to provide all the tools that you need in order to deal with free and open source software. So again, whenever we talk with public administrations and we say, hey, this is what we're um, dealing with. This is free software. They say software. Okay, that's that's something very technical. And so I'll leave, I'll leave you talk with my tech um, you know, engineers. And then we say, no, that's it's not about tech, right? It's about a lot of stuff. It's about changing your mindset. It's about transferring knowledge. It's about changing your internal processes. And that's exactly what we were doing in, in that master I was telling you before. So we're dealing with all the different aspects of free software management in order to let people understand what this is all about, right? So again, there are many aspects. So I'm not sure if I really um, provided you a clear reply, but yes, it depends on where you are. It depends on the condition. Of course, I believe that free and open source software is the way to go whenever you, you deal with, stu with students and you, you want to tell them that um, to provide them the tools for them to learn alone. It's not just a one-to-many conversation. It's also peer-to-peer -peer and, and we must stress this as much as possible in schools, I think. It's a good answer because you make clear it's, it's not black and white. <laughs> it's, it's a gray and it's nuanced. Also, I don't know if this happened at the same time of your life, but I, uh, as far as I understood it, uh, I think you were also a uh, free and open source uh, software mentor at a certain period of your of your career. Uh, and I'm curious to know what did you do as a mentor, like, or what were the the questions that people usually had for you? Or yeah, that's um, that's something interesting since most of the time you you get to you know you get to talk with younger people, let's say, so students or people in university, especially that are trying to look for what to do next and what, what to do when they, they finish uh, university. And especially in Italy, what we get is uh, most of the time a very, let's say, theoretical preparation. So we are, we're quite strong. I mean, I, I, I think our university are, are doing a very good job in preparing from a theoretical point of view uh, our our students and and I was one of them so I'm quite happy about it. However, all, all the time we're missing something, right? So we are missing the there's this gap, there's this breach between what's what's out there uh, um, after university or after your your schooling period and and what's inside. So I think that what a mentor does is really try to fill this gap, but doing it in a way so that people. Uh, have the tools again. I'm stressing this this idea. So because especially for a software engineer, it's quite normal for everyone. Even if you don't know anything about free and open source software, right now it's normal to browse the web to look for pieces that someone else created and someone else somehow crafted and and after research and after um, development phases, and then you just you know copy paste it. So the idea of explaining how you should do it, what a license is, and how how this process can go on and on, and how does the, the, the whole free and open source world exist right now, how was it created, and how it will evolve in the future, I think is important for future generation, for for also for developers, also for you know, also for people that 
don't really want to get into much details, but they just want to develop good code. They just want to, to become better, better developer, better engineers. I think it's interesting and important to provide them a little bit of history and a little bit of tools in order for them to understand what this is all about. They, they just cannot copy paste a piece of software uh, that they find somewhere, but they have to think about it. And maybe if they spot a, a, an error, file an issue and uh, you know open a PR and contribute to it. And maybe one day they could become maintainers of that package and keep the ball rolling. So I think this is the role, right? And um, again, as I stressed before the idea of the open source figure inside a public administration, I think that the idea of free and open source software mentor should really get going. And we should, I don't know, talk with universities maybe, or talk with, um, there are OSPOs, there are uh, open source program offices in the universities. Maybe they could do that, that kind of role, right? Maybe they could, provide the extra, the, the plus, the something that you don't really get inside a, a university course, but you could get from people that have a little bit of experience in the real world. I think that's very interesting. And I actually just got a talk accepted at university in, in a month. So we'll see if we can give them some practice. That's great. That. You mentioned now, you talked about searching and finding, and you mentioned the catalog twice already. And we already pitched it in the beginning, uh, how you're using the public code.yaml to make your catalog, the service sort of that you built. Can you tell us about what it does and how you utilize the, 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 this public code.yaml standard for it? Yeah, I'll, let me please uh, make a small step back since um, I, I want to, again, frame the issue, frame the problem here. So whenever we had those, that, that law I was referring to before, and then the guidelines I explained, then uh, we thought there was a little, again, piece missing. Since many uh, public administrators were calling us from a day-to-day -day base and, and, and saying, okay, you're telling us to use free and open source software to, to make a comparative evaluation and assessment to know, you know, to take that into consideration. But the question is, where do I find that software, right? And to me and to us, you know, uh, that th we, are, we are dealing with this on, on a regularly, let's say, it's fairly straightforward. You just go out there and you just go on some popular repositories or you, you know, containers or you go and or you just browse the, the web and, and you, you may find some replies. But this is not straightforward for everyone, especially for someone that has always been, let's say, connected in a procurement world where there are couple of tools and that's about it. So if you need a software, you go there, you browse a specific website where you find all the possible solutions that are somehow packaged by some, some public administration and you, you just grab that from the shelf and you install it. So we said, okay, we, we need to think about a way in order to provide this help. Again, it's a tool that we provided to public administration. So that's how the idea of a catalog or building a catalog came into place. Of course, the first fear was this one. So there are many catalogs out there, also for what concerns the free and open source world, but most of them are centralized. So having a centralized catalog may be interesting from a uh, you know, project management point of view, since you have everything under control. However, it can be tricky in, in, since you have to update it. And whenever you ask people to send you some information, and then you want those information to be and stay updated, 
that's quite an issue and that's quite a challenge again because you never know when whenever people will just stop updating those information or you never know when people would just you know when that software disappears and magically you're you're referring to something that, that is not there anymore and there are many issues so that's how we thought about building a catalog that was as much distributed and decentralized as possible and that's how again we, we are introducing a very long introduction to introduce this this specification which is called public code.yaml and the idea behind this specification is that it's uh, very straightforward and we want to keep it as simple as possible it's a yaml file so it's very easy to read even if you're not used to read you know it's not json it, it's not you know and it's it's very straightforward it's just a, ma a matter of strings uh, columns and other strings so that's the the format of the file inside the file we wanted to put as many and as little information as possible in order to have a low level of friction among uh, the, the users but uh, to provide as much information as we as we want to to have to the final again to final users so that's exactly how the public code yama specification came into place and the idea behind it is to have this file the single one where you write all the information regarding your own free and open source software inside then you take this file you put it inside the root of your repository and that's a very important point because i really love to say that the public code yaml file lives with your code it is a part of your source code it is one file in your repository and you can update it and you can treat it with git with all the you know your development workflow however you want we don't want to know it it's up to you you can treat it as you want you can update it as you want so for, of course we made some you know some little tools that automatically update that piece of software in order to keep it updated and up and running so what happens is just that you at some point you have to tell us uh, to developers italia to our you know our team where that's that file is located so you create it you put it on your root of your repository, you have all the information up there, and then at some point you say, hey, Leo, or hey, um, developers, this is the place where my repository stands. And actually, we're not even asking for that. We're asking for the organization. So imagine you have your organization, and inside you have a lot of repositories. Each one of your repository has a public code.yaml file in it, because again, it's one-to-one, -one. it's connected to the, to the single repository. And then every night, what we do is we go around looking for that specific file in all the location we 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 know all the URLs that that the public administration told us. So every night we build our catalog in this way. So every morning you wake up and there's these automatic process that run at midnight, the midnight of, of the day, and we have the display of the of the catalog up and running. So again, it's decentralized because we're not asking for people to provide us the metadata. They're not asking for the information. We're just asking for the, you know, for the URL of the, of the organization. But in the future, we're also planning to remove it because if we know more or less where the code stays, you know, it's quite trivial to go and query for that specific file, extract information, and then display. So this is the idea behind it. So. We started with the, an, an issue with our requirement. People wanted a catalog, so we wanted to build a catalog. We built one 
that was decentralized and as easy as possible to update and to keep maintained and updated um, in, a, in an easy fashion. I was actually listening to you and I was thinking that uh, everything you're, you're sharing with us, everything you're telling us seems like pretty avant-garde, <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty nice and pretty uh, modern. And I was wondering if all this job you're doing in, uh, yeah, in the Departamento per la Transformazione Digitales or the Department of Digital Transformation, how is it perceived by the vendors? How, how do they feel about these, uh, all these um, line of work? Oh, well, I think, again, um, this is something that we were really afraid of, let's say. We, we were scared of the fact that uh, at some point the, the vendors could um, really, you know, stop collaborating with us. But fortunately, this, this, this didn't happen. I think this is true because of many reasons. First of all, uh, we're not just, you know, waking up in the morning and doing stuff, but we are basically uh, doing whatever the law says. So there's a primary law in Italy, and this is quite important, I think. And then there's there are the guidelines depicting what to do in which in every situation, in every possible situation. So this is like a good backup. It's something that you you want to have, and 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 you want to stress maybe your your administration to work in this direction because it, it's important and it's important to be there. Then you have a community of people that um, understood that this was a great possibility for the nation and but also for, you know, we're a member state of, a com of the European community, but also from an international point of view, because open source doesn't have borders, right? So there were, it's, it's, it was um, an, an opportunity. So they started grouping together and they started working together. Then there, there's our work and what we're doing is basically providing tools. But tools are not just for public administrators. They are most, I mean, all of them are free and open source tools. So most of them are really useful also for vendors. So we're not saying this is something that just, you know, a small niche of people can take and, and put it into action. This is something free and open source. So everyone can uh, just respecting the license can use it and reuse it. So if you think about it, this is a real good um, business opportunity also. I don't want to go too much into the business details. However, I'm just saying you that there are many business models out there that uh, other you know big players, international players are, are trying to tackle and trying to uh, tweak a little bit in order to make them work. So this can be embraced, this whole approach and this whole environment, the free and open source world can be embraced by vendors. So, and this is something interesting because what we did was um, that we created Inside our catalog, there's not only a section dedicated for public administrations, but there's also another section, let's say, uh, uh, on the side that is dedicated to what we call third-party uh, free and open source softwares. And what this means is that if you are a vendor and you're developing free and open source solutions and you want to show your solution to public administration, to every public administration in Italy, what you have to do is basically create a, a public code YAML file, as we said before, put it inside your repository, the root, and then communicate to us with a really, really uh, quick and easy way where that public code is. And then automatically you get, uh, you get on board. Your software, your solution is displayed inside and tagged as third-party 
free and open source. But then every public administration that goes there, that goes in the catalog and checks for every possible uh, free and open source software, finds also your solution. So it's you know it's a showcase. It's a possibility to sh showing your work. And also, of course, since it's free and open source, it's easy to audit. It's easy to easily see if this is a good product and you want to to have it inside and you want to uh, deploy it on your machine, on your on your cloud hosting provider. So again, we're providing tools. We're not saying, hey, this is something that is going to change from zero to one, as I said before. But we're working with them. And we, are, we also have an open conversation with them. So again, we are a community. Sorry, the community, I always like to say that it's about citizens, it's about public administrators, and it's about small, but also big enterprises. It's about enterprises, because at the end, those are the stakeholders in the game, right? So we cannot think that a public administration does everything alone. Vendors are important and will always be important. So we have to understand how to properly work in this new ecosystem, in this new uh, way in following the free and open source methodologies. Of course, they're part of the community as well. Yeah. And it sounds like you're really providing them with a, a, an easy way to do essentially marketing through, through this. You also mentioned citizens. Do people on the street know about this law and how this work that you're doing? And if so, what's what's their attitude? Okay. <laughs> um, of course, some of them, some of them know. Not all of them know. Unfortunately, we have to work a little bit more in order to to have a hundred percent coverage of the population. But you know what? I'm not really concerned about the fact that everyone talks about the law. I mean. Again, I think that the law is just a little brick or a little piece in our puzzle. Uh, I'd like if uh, to go uh, around the streets and talk with people and and hear that they know what what we are really building, right? So that is is going far beyond the law itself. Because again, when 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 someone talks about a law, it's probably because they're trying to find a way to you know, <laughs> to, to, to go around it or maybe because there's something that they've been punished of. Or I don't know. It's, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's always better to think about the principle, the, the methodologies and the possibilities offered by the model. So again, the law is the, the, the vector and we are, we are, it's a little train. So we're, we're, we jumped on the train. We started to build over it. All the all the tools to provide uh, education, to provide methodologies, approaches, and all the novel. As I told you before, the digital transformation. I think this is the digital transformation. Is is providing the possibilities for everyone to move forward in in the best possible way, in an optimized way, more reliable, more secure, and so on and on. So it's um, again, uh, in order to reply to you, it's. Uh, if if one day I'll go in the street and I hear people talking about free and open source software and and how it can, you know, it's it's a good investment in public money to produce public code. That would be a, a very very good day for me and hopefully, and I think for everyone in this yeah. in this call. Yeah, exactly, Leonardo. I also I'm also curious about something. I've just also remembered when we were talking. The first show that we did was with. Um, with uh, Arnau from uh, Decidim from Barcelona. And um, I think I also asked him this question, which is like, how do you deal with the multi-language thing, right? Like you work with English, you work with Italian. How do you interact with your community? And not only on 
the repository, but also on the website, because uh, I've seen that pieces of your documentation might be in one language or another. And I'm curious to know if there's any sort of like direction there or like guidelines. Yeah, this is um, uh, an important topic, I think. So again, as I told you before, in the world we're living in, uh, we, we, don't, we don't have any more any borders, right? So especially in the free and open source world, we, we're, we're all a big community. I like to call it that way. So of course, if you want to interact with the rest of the community, you have to have a lingua franca, or you know, you have to establish a way. So that's exactly why most of our repositories are, let's say, English by default. And then we try to provide also an Italian readme. Uh, because again, from one side, there's the overall community, which is important, and which is important also to stress to public administrators, since uh, we need them to understand, and also we have to understand that if we want to interact with them, we have to speak the same language, right? So, and this is not just something that, since there's a law, again, as we said before, this is not something that is restricted to Italy. This is an international movement, and it's always been, and it always will be. So. It's important that they understand this concept. So probably for us, the language is also a way to tell them, okay, please don't just stop in the very, in the very beginning producing the documentation in, in Italian, but think that maybe, I don't know, somewhere in France, in, in the Netherlands, somewhere in Spain, someone could potentially reuse that piece of software. So this goes beyond the Italian law. This goes beyond the idea of providing a piece of software for the municipality next door, right? So I think, again, it's it's a possibility that we're, we try to stress. So we say, okay, of course, you are in Italian public administration. The law says that you have to provide the documentation, of course, in Italian. However, just we can, you know, go together and do the next step together in order to open yourself up to a more wider audience. So that's what we're trying to do. Of course, it's it's a challenge, of course, because most of the time, most of the documents and the contents we're creating are targeting Italian audiences. So also the translation effort is not uh, straightforward because you need uh, experts in, in the language uh, and na native speakers and so on. So it's a challenge, but we're, again, we're slowly going that way and hopefully this will work. I, uh, hopefully I will tell you in an year or so that this is, is slowly going forward. That's an interesting point you're making there because of course, what's an expert, uh, a translator? Are, are we thinking on a policymaker? Are we thinking of uh, a software developer? Like what is an expert in open source translation? That's a right? good question. <laughs> yeah. And I'm afraid mm. I cannot tell you since uh, again, this is not yeah, just tech. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> this is not tech, right? It's not all tech. It's it's a lot of stuff. And uh, and that's why we need education. We need we need to form people. We need to prepare people to, to this world. And, and talking about education and challenges and forming people, you had quite a trip so far in, in doing this. Is there any sort of like mistakes that you have learned from that you would like to share so people perhaps want to repeat them? Wow, many mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> like every day we make mistakes, uh, but but I think it's it's all right. I mean, it's good to to make mistakes and then to recognize that you're making a mistake and and not you know go in that direction and just close your eyes. So yeah, many mistakes. Uh, and again, this is something we've been 
we've been talking about in, in many different um, occasions, many different tables, also international ones. Uh, one of the main mistakes, I think, that uh, also some other countries are trying to, to do, I think, is to concentrate just on the law, right? Just on the primary law. Because I, I, I hear many discussions around where people say, yes, we need a law, and 100% of our focus should be there, should go in that direction. But I, I, uh, we're living it, right? So I see that, and, and we saw that from 2005 till 2017, let's say, we had a law in place, but nothing really changed and nothing really happened. I mean, yes, someone, the, the virtues ones, uh, the virtue uh, public administration is the one that really complies with the world below, but we know there are a lot of there, a, a lot of them out there. So you should not just 100% focus on that. I mean, legislation efforts are okay, but please work uh, in parallel also with something else, also to create a community, to create tools, to provide tools, and uh, and to make people understand what you're talking about. Because at the end, if you don't do that, you will end up in two, three years time with a beautiful law that nobody respects and don't, nobody really takes into consideration. So I think it is important, of course, but it's not the only effort. You have to differentiate, of course, and to tackle all the different aspects. So again, a little bit of effort in that side and the legislation one, a little bit on, on the community one, a little bit of knowing who you're talking to and interviewing your customers. Again, sorry for de dealing with the word customer, but interviewing your citizens, knowing them. You have to know them, you have to know what they need, and you have to know what maybe your government, local, both the local or, or central is not providing. So that's something you can, you can easily do, right? It's just about interviewing, running workshops, and so on, on a user-centered uh, approach. And then provide tools, provide tools in order for, again, for vendors to know that you're not just running against them, but you are going with them in the, and, and you have to go in the same direction toward the same goal. So again, differentiate your efforts and try to tackle all the different aspects and you will have potentially a good strategy. If, if you go just in one direction, that could be a big mistake because it's not 100% sure that, that that will work alone again oh, i love your answer so these are little mistakes and i uh, and i hope others will not do it i think we have a, a three minute clip here we can bring people to so as a 101 in what to do oh wow thanks yeah and uh, as a counterpart we were talking about the maybe not so merry moments or regretful in a way moments or things that you would have done in a different way but uh, I would like to talk about the positive ones now. So what things are you proud of and you would like to, to share with us today? Okay, um, yeah, luckily there are, there are things that <laughs> make me proud as well, me and my team, of course. Uh, and I think it's uh, the moment where you, you know, the, the public administrator and the public administration sitting around the same table, they really say, thank you. They, they really say, yes, this is the way to go. This is the way to invest public money. Again, it's not about spending, it's about investing, right? So it's about uh, investing, maybe not alone, but together with other administrations and going towards the same goal. 
and uh, again, helping others because we, we have the same goals, we have the same necessities. So if I have a small budget and I invested in something, I hope that next door, the other municipality will do the same so that again, we can, we can share the effort and we can invest in better services for our citizens. So I think that's, that's the best moment. And, and I really love it because it means that when we have this kind of conversation, it means that we're slowly going in the right direction, right? So of course, I also like to receive feedback and there are many administrations that give us feedback. And when this happens, it means that they are reactive, that they are there, they, they know what you're talking about and they want to provide feedback. They want to say, hey, this is great, but there's a lot to work on or, you know, you should correct this stuff or you should correct that other stuff. It means that you're passing the right message. It means that you are uh, dealing with the right people at the right time. It means that they are reactive, that they are there to listen to you and provide you feedback. And, and that makes you grow and makes you grow so that the next administration you deal with, you'll be more prepared and you build, you will be probably solving the issues in a faster fashion. So I really like those moments in, in my day-to-day -day job. And Hopefully, they, they, they'll be more and more. All right. And as a final question, one that we ask to all our people we're having on the show, who would you like to see being interviewed in the future here on Let's Talk About Public Code? Oh, wow. Uh, many, many, many people. <laughs> can I list a few? You, you, um, you can name one here, and then you can okay. send us a list afterwards. All right, yeah, of course. I think um, it could be interesting to have uh, the the blue hats idea here. So I, I can name uh, Bastian Guerri. Hopefully, he's not, um, you know, he's not. Uh, he will not be mad at me, but I'm pretty sure he won't, since he really loves to talk about uh, all the uh, what concerns the French. Uh, the French uh, government and the French approach to free and open source since they have, again, a, a different one, um, different from other one, from the Italian one, I mean, but uh, it's a very interesting one, especially for what concern, I mean, from my point of view, for what concerns the, the Blue Hats community. So the community of people that are uh, trying to help public administrators or also public administration helping each other in this uh, in this process going in the free and open source world. So yeah, that's that's my name. That's my nomination today. It's a great nomination. And this has been a very nice chat, but unfortunately we have to wrap it up now. Yeah, thank you all uh, for your time, viewers, and of course, especially you, Leonardo. Thank you for, for sharing this moment today with thank us. You. It's been great. And thank you, Jan, again, for joining me one more time. <laughs> uh, thank you, Alba. Yeah, so you can also subscribe in order not to miss any of the, of the podcast in uh, at podcast.publico.net. Well, and uh, yeah, we will be back in about a, a month, more or less. We've already asked someone to join us but we don't know yet. It's not 100% confirmed, but we'll keep you posted for sure. And if you want to engage in a little bit more uh, interactive sessions, we also have community calls that you can join. So we have every first Thursday of the month, the Standard for Public Code community call, and every third Thursday of the month, the Foundation for Public Code community call. Yeah, you can subscribe uh, in the footer of our website, uh, publico.net. Don't forget that. And that's that's been all from us. Thank you and bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.